All right. Hello and welcome, everyone. Welcome back to the second ever Unplugged. We are officially weekly because this is our second one a week after the first one. So excited to have you. This is the Ed3 podcast. Once a week, I get to sit down with my friend Serge Hunt and talk about all things education, about the future of education, how AI is intersecting with the future of learning. And there's so much to talk about. Serge, how's your week been? It's been wild. We're getting ready to launch. (laughs) Yeah. Fast paced and and social. It's it's good. City as a school is about to launch. So uh, yeah, making all the changes, getting all the announcements ready. And yeah, busy busy and hectic. Lots of friends telling me about AI and what they're gonna try and do with it. Also other people having no clue what they're gonna do about it. And I'm sure we can get into it. Let's get into it because uh, I mean everyone should check out City as a school. Really fun stuff coming. And I was telling you before here record, I was I had four calls yesterday. Two of them were panels I spoke on and two were phone calls all about AI and education. And uh, every week I feel like, you know, sorry, I keep talking about AI, but it seems like the thing that we need to talk about. And yesterday, OpenAI announced plugins, which is essentially like an app store on top of ChatGPT where it can plug into other tools. But the question I keep getting is from educators is like, I believe you, this is cool, but what do I do with it? Like, so what? So I would love to throw that question to you, Serge, and maybe even taking it up from AI. How, how do schools think about integrating new technology? Like this is a problem you're going to face with city as a school. Like how do you get new concepts into a school that typically has a five or 10 year plan and a budget, right? That is pretty hard to change quickly. Sure. Yeah. I, I think I'll speak to like two potential directions they can take into school. I mean, also just a general blocker of technology and education, mostly based off of Justin. Rish, I think his surname is Justin from MIT. He wrote a book called Failure to Disrupt, which is why all about how technology has failed to disrupt the classroom. Really great book. So yeah, the, the two general angles here, and I've tried selling, you know, software to universities and schools. It's, it's pain in the ass and for many good reasons. Basically the, the top-down approach is, like you said, there's narrow funding. Schools are, you know, strapped. They're pretty thin already. They have long procurement processes and they need this software to be sort of enterprise grade stuff where you can't have bugs that mess up systems because they're so deeply connected to other systems, statewide systems, right? So at these kinds of levels, you need enterprise grade stuff or like proven results that you're, you know, you're reliable. Can't just throw in from the top down perspective, something like AI, which is stochastic and gives you know, improper answers and hallucinates and stuff. So there's lots of worry there from finance to like enterprise readiness to like, does it play well with other systems that they work with? And then from the bottom up perspective, which is generally where I lean towards is like, how can you get permissionless adoption into schools? Meaning like ChatGPT was a perfect example and Google was a perfect example. When Google first came out, kids just kind of slowly had it over time. They, it was something that the schools didn't know about, but permissionlessly they were using it and then it infiltrated the schools and then they had to adapt their, their processes, their pedagogy, their curriculum to make way for that kind of thing. ChatGPT is a similar kind of permissionless entrance into school. And that's another angle for just thinking about any like TikTok, like you don't get schools to accept or like reject TikTok. It's just on your phone. And this is a permissionless way into schools. More broadly, they're like changing the system with technology. The problem with dumping cool technologies and like a blocker to adoption isn't just like, will the school buy it or will kids have it on their phones? It's also will, when you drop technology into a school, technology tends to get domesticated by the culture of that institution. So it doesn't matter if you bring chat GPT in, it's going to be domesticated and used for 
the aims and goals of that culture, which is standardized testing. So you'll do like really boring things with it. And Justin observed this with Scratch. Like when Scratch was trying to get into schools, it just got used in really boring ways, unless you develop an enabling culture that knows around the tool to support like new pedagogy, new practice, like new stu student teacher relationships, new mindsets and norms and you know beliefs about what this technology is. And that's really hard to do. That's just, you know, culture, movement building, training, all these kinds of things. Yeah, it feels like culture is more important than ever and maybe it's harder to build than ever as well. You know, you think about the diverse interests and demands on teachers, it maybe is more difficult to to path the direction and get teachers, you know, all moving in a similar function. I was struck when I was on this panel talking, you know, we had the superintendent from New York City talking about how they banned ChatGPT initially and they're trying to integrate it. And she explained a little bit, which is interesting how, you know, they banned it because they weren't sure yet of how to effectively use it. And they were worried, like you said, about the, you know, this, what do you call this? St stochastic, stochastic, <laughs> you know, stochastic. stochastic impact, which I thought was interesting. But she said the thing that stood out, she said that if we don't teach our students chat GPT, we're actually increasing the inequity because we're a public school and where else are the majority of our students going to learn this than in a public school? And that really blew my mind because I was thinking about failure to disrupt as well. And he talks about the Matthew effect, which is that technology generally favors those who already have access and it actually makes disparity worse. So I'm curious your thoughts on that. How do we believe that maybe ChatGPT runs counter to the Matthew effect? And is it incumbent on especially public schools, but maybe all schools to integrate this as fast as possible to prevent disparity growth? Yeah, I think whether or not they actually adopt these kind of technologies en masse, it's still going to have some kind of stratification going. I think about this in another population, not just schools, where, you know, you can think about small businesses that learn how to do this, that use ChatGPT versus the small businesses that don't. I think, I think a swathe of things is going to happen regardless. Like, so that swathe of people are not going to be able to use these things. And that's really, really bad. Or maybe you could frame it like in a really Darwinian way, I probably would lead away from this to say, well, if they couldn't adapt and evolve, then, you know, they should go out of business or something like this. So that's tricky. I think that's going to happen anyway. In schools, yeah, like our best bet really for people to really understand what this technology is, isn't through just YouTube tutorials, but it is through the public education system. So I think there's a huge opportunity here for us to kind of bring this in, in a way to public education, figure out what the student teacher relationship is and change the kind of, I think it's changing the goals of education. It's changing them, like what we think is important to assess, what it's important to developing young people. If we get that right, the floor goes up. If we get it wrong, then we do see the disparity. And and when you say changing the goals, what what do you think they're changing them towards? Or what do you what do you mean by that? Sure, yeah. So currently like standardized testing is based on mainly on like rote, rote memory for many things. And also many tasks that like computers can already do. And this doesn't sort of reward creativity, it doesn't work reward collaboration and problem solving. Some innovative schools can do this, but the public system is, is kind of like falling behind here. The new goals are interesting. My, my whole thesis is basically you want to assess how quickly people can get from idea to reality. And the better they get at this, the more, and the higher agency they become over time. This is kind of the, the only real goal after 
doing the like core stuff. So this is a very sort of Montessorian angle, which I talk, talked about last week, which is like, we have recipes for how to get you good at like numeracy, literacy, some basic history of the world and, you know, geography, these kinds of things. Go do that. And that's really essential because you want someone to have like a basic canon of the world. But after that, the goals become, I, I think we, we try to force teenagers into goals which aren't serving them for for the, the future which requires the ability to adapt to look at information from different angles to take information from one place and apply it to another so that so assessing these kinds of things would be the new goals yeah no that's great and i think you know kind of to tie those things together i mean one thing that excites me is that a number of research studies i wrote about a few weeks ago in my newsletter about adaptive learning show massive impact right if you have adaptive education so that the content changes for each individual student. There's a big study in India that showed that, but what was typically needed was incredibly expensive software, right? And access. And what I love about ChatGPT is it's text-based. So as long as you are able to get text on your phone, which is almost anyone with an internet access, even if it's slow, like it still works effectively. Like that is the most lightweight, you know, kind of tool we found. So I think there's some potential there to counteract what typically causes the Matthew effect, which is don't have resources, don't have access. Still, social support around it is really important, but it um, kind of leads to the next one. I, you know, I'm hearing you say this. I had the same conversation with a friend of mine, Brad and Adil, and then great Twitter thread I'll link in the chat from Henrik Carlson, who he basically said that we are now, we've solved the tutor problem. Like ChatGPT solves the tutoring problem where we can all have our own tutor. But what's needed for this is people who want to learn, right? So like it, students have to be motivated to learn to make good use of tutoring. And that's actually a culture problem. So what I loved about his kind of argument is that what we're at now is we need good learning culture, right? We need to build a culture where uh, students are, yeah, we're building culture design, essentially, where students want to learn. And I think that's really difficult. But if you think about what you're saying, if we change the goals and we start assessing that, then all the tools we bring in could be sort of viewed in that lens. Like, is it making our students more curious? Is it making them more interested in learning more off the book? You know, as they say in chess, when you see a board that's never been seen in the history of chess off the book, like that's what I feel like we're at yeah. right now. So I don't know. Yeah. Give me your thoughts on that. Culture design. You think a lot about culture design. It's really easy, right? So you can just give them five ways to build. <laughs> and then it's good. Is that how it works? Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like I'm quite, lucky to be to have worked with joe edelman at human systems that was like our whole thing basically firstly starting with a tweet henrik's argument that you know a tutor for every child a, you know, a co-pilot for every child this is like a reality now uh, and i've been throwing this meme around because it, it's i think it's more powerful than the laptop for every child kind of movement right yeah um, that's like this is like deeply right like this is a deeply permissionless very low like you said low barrier to entry technology which it is insane. This wasn't a laptop for every child. It's different in an interesting way, which I'm still trying to place my finger on. But uh, yeah, to, to Henrik's point, culture is the barrier. And it's also convergent with what Justin was saying in Failure to Disrupt, that culture is the barrier. So how do I think about culture design? The best place to go and learn about this is the School for Social Design. So sdfs.io. Go check them out on Twitter. I can also send the link in the podcast. This was the work that I was previously doing before City as a School. Basically, the simple way to think about it is... We need to design around something which isn't a user's goals or a user's emotions or a user's needs or jobs to be done. These are kind of like the raw materials of design for typical products, right? And we need to design around something new. What we spent a couple of years doing at School for Social Design 
was articulating this design philosophy, working with like Facebook cultural integrity team, Google Maps, Extinction Rebellion, some other folks like that, to think about how, you know, their products could not cause war, depression, and addiction. And this looks and yeah, just like, you know, a couple of other things as well. Those categories. Because when you opt over optimize for goals, you lose meaning. And when you lose meaning, you the culture becomes sort of performative, it becomes meaningless, it becomes professional, it tends towards professionalism and people lose agency, they lose meaning in, in those in those systems, right? So essentially people are faced with tons of choices. And in any choice, you could construct tons of lines of reasoning for why you would make one choice over the other. So what do you bring to bear when you have those choices, right? And we, we call those things your values. These are your sources of meaning. We need to know why you're making the choices that you make. But the problem is many people don't know why they're making the choices that they make. And also other people are trying to tell you not to make choices that aren't actually your authentic choice. Ads, behavior mechanisms in Facebook, you know, notifications, like nudges and pushes, right? All of these things are trying to veer you away, as well as just the norms and the, the culture around you, professionalism, be a good, you know, Asian child, you know, be a good father. All these, all these things are like crowding out your values. And it's really hard for you to get clear on what those are. And so in terms of culture design, maybe I'll just wrap up on this point is like, we used to get clear on like what norms and expectations are at play in any social space, whether it be a school, a social network, or a society, there are norms and expectations at play. And then you need to figure out, okay, what are the features which prop up those structures, those norms to exist? Is it because there's authority in the system and a rank ranking system? Is it because it's a one-to-one -one relationship? Is it because there are, there are one, there are many people I can interact with, or just like a few in a small group, are these close friends or are these long-term friends? Are we here for a day? Or are we here for like three weeks? All these things like construct certain norms um, and then narrow it down to a school, say like what, what are the norms at play there? And then you can kind of tweak those things with this design methodology that we, that we articulated at School for Social Design. So that would be the best place to check out our textbook, which t shows you how to engineer culture. Yeah. So I guess two questions as we kind of move towards the end here is, you know, teachers might listen to this and be like, yeah, I'm on board. Like we need to build a culture of curiosity. We need to assess in a different way. <laughs> But, but I have a class coming in in 20 minutes. Like, like, how do you, what do you tell a teacher that's like, you know, in the midst of the system, they want to have an impact. They, they're buy-in like, yeah, AI is cool. We should teach this. But now what, like, what do I do? That's a really good question. It's and so I think hard, something right? that we're trying to get. <laughs> I mean, there's not a pithy answer, obviously. That's why it's so hard. Yeah. I mean, it's something we want to bring people together around, right? Because yeah. we all, we're all coming at it from different angles. I think. The, the simplest, le the simplest leverage points are incentives and recognition. So assessment and incentives. There are other sort of leverages, uh, lever levers here at play. I don't think it's about coming in and doing trainings. I think that's cut, that won't scale. I tend to think about it. You know what? I don't have a clear answer. I'm just going to like, yeah. <laughs> like park, park it. At well, let's, I mean, let's keep working on it. And that'd be one, you know, we are going to have a few kind of events and chat with people in the coming weeks. So if anyone listens to this, tweet at us, join us for these conversations. Cause I think that's what we all have to figure out here is this stuff's moving way faster than a five-year plan or even a semester course outline. Right. So how do we integrate it? And I think 
some individual teachers are testing stuff and sharing it. I really like what Ethan Mollick's sharing from the Warden School. But who knows? Like, I think everyone, it'd be great to have more people trying it out. And that's maybe my last question for you. I'm really curious about where innovation comes with this. Like, are we going to look to New York City and when they make a decision, other people are going to follow it? Is it going to come from a really small school that's able to try stuff quickly and make mistakes and no one really cares until they have a good model? Is it going to come from private models like city as a school that's able to just try stuff with parents directly? Like, where do you kind of see the best models coming from or who should we be watching maybe in the coming weeks and months? Sure. Yeah. I tend to think about innovation coming from the fringe. It's never, it's rarely from inside an entrenched institution. It tends to like evolve and, and gain some traction somewhere on the edge of things. My bet was with homeschoolers and those communities that were already like picking up Bitcoin and playing with Lightning Network and, you know, organizing as a community, you know. So my bet's with them and, and scaling, like demonstrating that these practices work, demonstrating how they outcompete other systems and then the other systems going, oh, okay, we should, we should adapt. There is another theory of change potentially, which is you change for complex systems, you change the base units of what's at play. So sometimes you think it's about teachers and students, but that's actually kind of a false conception. Maybe everybody's a learner. I don't know. Like, or we think about it as schools and states, but maybe there's a different relationship between these things. My big one example of that is instead of a limited by shares company, think about co-ownership models, think about exit to community models, like different ways of doing business. And these kind of change, this, this enables innovation in a different way. So what I'd say is like, watch the fringe and also watch, start thinking about how you can change the base units of a complex system because they tend to cascade up and, and then have interesting interactions from there. Who to watch? Alec Resnick, Alec Resnick, a powderhouse labs in the US somewhere, really tinkering with like, how could you get public schools that look very different, funded by the government, very like principled thinker. So maybe get Alec on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, I'll get him on the podcast and Serge and I will every week talk about kind of the fringe that we're seeing because I think we, we see different fringes and that's kind of, I think the answer is different perspectives, different people bringing, bringing this into their own cultures. Because if it is culture building, it's not going to be monoculture, right? Hopefully, hopefully not monoculture. It should be a rich ecosystem. So let's, let's wrap it there. I know we have plenty more to talk about, but we'll be back here next week on Ed3 Unplugged. So you can check that out on your favorite podcast player. And uh, we are also looking for a descript video editor so we can share clips of anyone out there listens to this and wants to get involved, reach out. We'd love to train you up and have you get involved with this fun community. So Serge, any final thoughts before we get on to the end of the Friday? No, maybe the final thought is collaborate, share what you learn. We're all figuring this out on the frontier. So be vocal about anything that you try out and you know, keep looking for the communities who are, who are doing good work and trying to collaborate. It's all good. It's going to be a collective yeah. effort. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, in the startup space, they say build a public. I always like to say learn in public, you know, just share what you're learning as you go, because it gives us inspiration and it helps others learn alongside you. So we'll look forward to reading everyone's learnings and we'll see you next week on Ed3 Unplugged. Mm -hmm.